0: You can be seated. That's kind of the good stuff. I think sometimes we miss that. I mean, it's both that it's the good stuff and that at the point of history, there was a point of history in which darkness thought it had won. And it didn't hang around long enough to even be worth mentioning. Don't ever lose sight of that in the moments of our deepest despair, that darkness doesn't get to win. Death is not final. Incomplete parties will not be seated. I suppose you don't want to fill a table at a restaurant if you only have two of the four or two of the six showing up, but I wish sometimes, okay, I wish sometimes as I engage with conversations with people that someone would come up to me with a sign that says, incomplete parties will not be seated. Because my brain, okay, it's so hard to focus, and it's so hard to be fully present. I like when my brain allows me to be fully present, but I got to be real. It takes a fair amount of effort, okay? In the best moments, I can lock onto someone, make eye contact, and not be influenced by anything else around me. And in the worst moments, it's like everything that walks by, I'm like a squirrel, 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 squirrel. Fully concentrate on the person who's speaking, John, and not what's going on around me. Listen, it's hard work. If you have a brain like mine, it's hard work to be fully engaged with someone, especially when they're boring <laughs> or you don't like them. To ask thoughtful questions. I mean, you got to get up for it, right? To be fully present and everyone's wondering about, okay, when was the last time I talked with you? <laughs> Part of today is a new concept to Hebrews, but not a new concept to faith. And, and next to knowing Christ, I would argue it's probably the most important concept in the faith journey. Hebrews verse 7, chapter 3, page 1002, although we're going to like jump to 12 pretty quickly, okay? So hang on. Therefore, as the, as the Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and they said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's what my brain feels like often. <laughs> Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, we introduced verse 12 last week. For those of you that are paying attention either here or at home, we're doing the same set of verses, part two. Take care. It's a a scream, it's a shout, it's a punch in the face. It's like pay attention to this. You want to get on top of this. The writer of Hebrews articulates this. Take care, pay attention to a group of people. Please understand, he's talking, she's talking, the writer of Hebrews is talking to followers of Christ. Because what the writer of Hebrews is about to say, we would very quickly say, well, that's not me. Because the writer of Hebrews then talks about An evil, unbelieving heart. And it would be easy to think that the writer of Hebrews is talking to someone else outside of this room. I mean, we can all recount examples of evil. Historically? And we think of evil as something, well, evil. heinous, Evil done on an international landscape. Genocide. Dumping toxic criminals chemicals and drinking water torture these things are evil right and those things are evil I would not disagree but what is talked about here as evil is is the sort of banal misbehavior that that isn't so much evil as we think of evil as it is just intentionally stupid it's not killing a person evil. It's more intentionally stupid evil. And we put a degree on it, right? And rightfully so. We shouldn't go kill humans. That is evil, right? We have a uniform value of life. From the little life to the oldest life, life has value. We shouldn't go killing life, okay? But evil is evil and the evil that is described here is this sort of intentionally stupid evil this sort of oh it's just minor disobedience it's not that bad it's just stupid and the writer of hebrews is like no it's evil and it is absolutely devastating And keep in mind, again, the writer of Hebrews is talking to us, followers of Christ, and is urging them to be vigilant, urging us to be vigilant, to guard our hearts. The thing that is the center of our executive function, our ability to get things done, how we think, how we act, how we do, right? He's not, she's not, the writer of Hebrews is not talking to an unbeliever. Talking to a group of folks that might be tempted to think they have nothing to worry about. Our hearts, your heart and my heart, is what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about this. Last week we talked about the antidote for an unbelieving heart. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Turning it around, getting away from this unbelieving evil heart, even though it's not evil in the sense of killing people, but it is evil in that it tears us and rips the relationship that exists between us and God through his son, Jesus Christ. Turning it around, you've got this. We've got this. We can do this. And the way that we do this, verse 13, exhort one another. Now, it doesn't say it specifically, but there is a strong, strong hint of community here. And if it's one thing to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would say the thing to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it is equally important to be in community. We don't exist well outside of community. Think about the last year. One of the hardest things for me personally is that we weren't together. We weren't experiencing this thing. And if nothing else, let that, Just commit to the value of being in community. That when we are together, we can say we can do this thing together because we are united in Christ. That we should live today. That we should exhort, encourage today. That we should be fully present today. And as we look forward to this upcoming week, think about the week as it lays before you. Where are the places, where are the pieces, where are the times where you will need to be encouraged? Where are the times and places where you have the opportunity to encourage someone else? The opportunities that will present themselves to us to live fully committed to the pathway of Jesus within the context of Christian community. The second part of 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, it's this duality that's constantly going on, right? It's the war, it's the battle that exists inside of us. What God wants to claim as rightfully his own our lives, what God wants to redeem our communities as rightfully his, and the reality of sin. And again, it's not this it's not sin on this global gross scale. It's 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 the subtle things, right? To be hardened by sin, to be hardened by deceit, to be hardened by cynicism. To, to mistake the, of, for what the sin tells us as opposed to what God tells us. What sin tells us, that the world is against us. What God tells us, I'm for you. You don't know how many times I run into someone that I know as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ and they lament how dark the world is and not just as a passing comment but like literally they're like the world's against me i'm like christ is for you i mean what what seriously are you focused am i focused on the world or am i focused on christ tell me And there's part of me that just wants to say, if what you want to be focused on is how much the world is against you, then just leave right now and be part of the world. Seriously. Make room for people that really want to hear about Jesus. And that's a tough message, right? That's a tough message because we've got to lament how bad the world is. No, we don't. We should celebrate how Christ is for us how there is an undivided line of linear growth through the history of the world in which God has been active. Jesus Christ changed the world and continues to do so to this very date. Sin tells us that, that sometimes we should be defined by our past mistakes, okay? But then in a wicked twist, okay, sin tells us, but you shouldn't apologize for your past mistakes, And so sin gets us in both ways, right? It's like, okay, you're defined by your past. You should feel bad about who you were. But don't ask for forgiveness for what exists in the past. What? It doesn't work that way. Not well at any rate. Certainly don't be willing to forgive others. That's what sin tells us. Be held captive by regret. That's what sin tells us. Look out for self. Want what others have. Pursue what you want. Anger is just a good motivating tool. Can't get it done unless we get angry. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Sin tells us that we should define success by power or wealth or career, that we should be the first, be the strongest, be reliant on no one. That's what sin tells us. It is a wicked traveling companion. And and like a little tiny pebble in the shoe... We let it in all the time. And it happens in small ways. This last week, I was a friend of mine, um, whose name is Brent, invited me to go on a ride, you know? And I'd never ride, rid, road, rid, road, ride. I'd never been on a bike with Brent before, okay? <laughs> and so there's a little bit of what you're, you're feeling the situation out, right? And so you're like, you, basically, you're asking, how good are you and will you hurt me? I mean, that's basically what you're asking, okay? But you're asking it in really subtle ways. You're like, well, you know, at what pace do you like to go? Or, you know, or what's your riding been like this year? He's like, oh, well, my longest ride this year is 65 miles. That's not a bad number. That's a pretty good number. And okay, well, what pace do you ride at? And he's like, well, you know, I can't, you know, much over 20, I can't sustain that very long. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> and I've said things like I never get past on the trail, which is hyperbole. It's a joke. This last week, Anna and I are having a conversation. She makes some outlandish statement, and then she leans in and says, hyperbole. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I'm I'm just, and and then, okay, so then you take, okay, so he's a little bit shorter than me. He's a little stockier than me. Okay, but that doesn't mean much on a bike because you can have a big heart, big lungs, and big legs, and it doesn't, okay. She's been riding a lot. I haven't been riding much at all. He shows up, exact same bike as I have, except he's tricked it out with a better wheel set, okay? When you spend almost as much on your wheels as you spend on the bike, you're kind of in a different category. I'm like, what is this going to... So finally, we push off from my place about 6.35, uh, Thursday morning, and I my final words were, okay, here's the deal. Either you're going to be faster than me or you're going to be slower than me. Let's have a good time, but that's not what I'm feeling inside. The warm-up. For the first five miles, I'm pedaling consistently. He's pedaling and then coasting, pedaling and then coasting, which is what I do when I ride with someone who's slower than me. (laughs) Why does it have to be about competition? (laughs) Why does one of us have to win? Why do we have to let sin in in such an innocuous way? In in the end, it worked beautifully. We we did penance together. Remember the story a couple weeks ago about the guy who got pulled over on the way to Timberwood Church? Same guy. (laughs) We did penance together doing a hill route that was 36, 37 miles long. Ended with a scone and a cup of coffee at Stonehouse. Sin can enter in the most innocuous of ways. That's why the writer of Hebrews is just screaming at us to watch out. If we let sin enter, verse 18 and 19, and to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of disbelief, unbelief. The, the, the lack of rest versus a Sabbath, it, it's not a case of no work at all. T, to not be able to work is, is a horrible thing. If you're rich enough to not have to work, I feel sorry for you. And, and if you're at a place where you've had prolonged unemployment, you can't find work or can't work, I feel sorry for you. So it's not saying no work at all. It's bad to not work. But a proper view of work is key. And the playoff is disobedience versus obedience. The playoff is lack of belief versus believing. And we allow our work to be the thing that defines us often. And we miss that following Christ is the most important thing. And no belief produces no rest. And so can I challenge us a little bit, revolving around these ideas? Okay, if I'm not well-rested in life, is it because I am being disobedient to what God wants me to do? No rest, the text says. Because of disobedience, they don't enter their rest. So if I'm not well-rested, is it a sign of disobedience to God? Now, to be sure, sometimes we're just tired, right? Been a a long day at work, a long ride. Nah, we don't have to be afraid of that. Don't have to be afraid of working hard. Don't have to be afraid of working hard. Don't have to be afraid of when you hit the pillow at night, you're instantly asleep and start to snore and bug your spouse. But what I'm arguing for is the chronic, chaotic existence, the person who says, I am always tired, I can never get caught up. And I wonder if it's because we never rest, we never take a Sabbath. And is it because we don't take a Sabbath, thinking I'm in control, can't take a day off because I got to work, or... Or is it a case of God says, fine, you want to work? Knock yourself out. Let's see how that works for you. And God doesn't allow us to rest because we're being disobedient. And if we allow our mindset to be changed, if we move from a lack of trust to trusting that God has got me, will that rest then be a reward that we can properly understand? Belief in Christ or self, the writer of Hebrews is arguing. We end back at 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. We can do this. But it is critical to understand the role of community the role of being together. We share in Christ. And, and some of us are new in that relationship, okay? And, and so we have this, this confidence that's just brimming outside of us. But all of us can remember that day and, and that confidence that we had in the beginning. It's so tempting to step away from that. It's so tempting to, to, once we've made it to a certain level, that all of a sudden we have to take control, you know, and we got to like, oh, i got to be in charge and i got to do this. I mean, it's like here at Timberwood Church. I mean, the first few years, I mean, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, wondering how we were even going to hang on, right? And the temptation 10 years into the gig, or now 17 years into the gig, is like, oh, i got to control this thing. No. No. Now, never forget to do the things that made us successful in the beginning, a, a trusting recklessness, a, a working abandonment, an intentional abdication, a focused laissez-faire attitude, okay? It's, it's these things where it's not a case of just setting back and let God doing because God's going to do what God's going to do. No, it's fully engaged and fully trusting, Allowing the good and the bad to come. And yesterday morning for me, the emotions were particularly fierce. Just coming in waves. So many thoughts, so many emotions, both good and bad. Halfway through, I thought, I should drink water because I don't want to get dehydrated. Never been there? Confidence waning, emotions on edge the bear charging and a heart that's resolved because someone comes up alongside you and says you can do this reference this book earlier this year cs lewis playing off the theologies and lives and philosophies of Lewis and Freud. So Lewis writes to his buddy, a gentleman by the name of Greaves. Um, I can find out if you're interested. It's back here. Um, It's found in the letters of C.S. Lewis to Arthur Greaves. Lewis says this, My happiest hours are spent with three or four old friends in old clothes tramping together And putting up in small pubs, or else sitting up till the small hours in someone's college rooms, talking nonsense, poetry, theology, metaphysics over beer, tea, and pipes. There's no sound I like better than laughter. And then listen to this If I had to give a piece of advice to a young man, or woman, but Lewis said young man, about a place to live, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. For Lewis, that's Christian community. And we are at our best when we are together, followers of Christ, exhorting one another every day as long as it is called today. Please pray with me. Father, for all the times I've let sin make me cynical. For all the times we've let sin harden our hearts. Please forgive us. And, and let us, oh great God, cut it loose. And let us commit to being in community to being here on a Sunday morning, to volunteer with kids, to being in small groups, to Wednesday nights, to all of the opportunities that we have for community, for those conversations that we can have with someone and encourage their soul. All the times we have a friend who's going through a medical crisis where we could reach out, all of the times where we need help, where we could say, I'm hurting And let us be faithful because we are followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us be found faithful to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.